Welcome to The Porch, an online community of believers committed to restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence of the early church. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire of the upper room still burns. This is where we get back to basics, the red-letter basics, by examining the Word of God and the example of the Book of Acts Church to discover how the early church served the Lord. In doing so, we discover the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The Porch on the Air since March of 2010 can only be heard on Firefall Talk Radio, which is a part of the Firefall Media Group. We're glad you're with us. To reach us click the contact button on the Firefall Talk Radio homepage at firefalltalkradio.com. If you want to support what we do there are ways to do that starting with the PayPal link at the bottom of the homepage. You can also use the Venmo app, which is easier to use and has fewer fees, where we can be found under at Firefall Media Group. One word. Uppercase on FMG. Thank you to each and every one of you who support what we do. We appreciate your support and encouragement. Give as the Lord leads. And now, to the Bible study with Richard Grund. Psalm 59, verses 16 and 17 says this, But I will sing of your power, yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. For you have been my defense and refuge in the day of my trouble. To you, O my strength, I will sing praises. For God is my defense, my God of mercy. Always start out with praise. First thing in the morning, last thing at night, any time you're going to study the Word, any time you're going to go into His presence, do it with praise and thanksgiving. So always start out by praising for the fact that I am born again. I am saved, healed, and delivered. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And in doing so, he gave me back the family I discarded. I now have not just a personal family, I've got a spiritual family. So I praise him for that. I praise him for the home that I have, for my wife, for my sons, daughter-in-laws, grandsons, for our furry kids. Some of you call them pets. We call them family. I praise him for all the possessions and the things that he's given us, all of this technology, the ability to sit here with you and do this every week. I praise him for his provision and his protection over each and every one of us. I count on it every day. Praise him for the dreams and the visions, living out Joel chapter 2, experiencing these times when he just talks to us and, and shares with us and spends time with us. I praise him for his healing virtues that are still available to each and every one of us. Whatever you're going through, heart, mind, body, soul, or spirit, don't look at things the way they are. Speak to things not as they are, but as they should be in accordance with his word. Find the scriptures that correlate to what you're dealing with. But I just pray right now in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, whatever it is, be healed, be made whole. I praise him for his favor, divine abiding favor, for divine revelation, for being a new creation and living in what I believe to be our prophetic times. And to be honest, you, you have to be blind to not see that. 
I praise him for the signs that I believe he's giving us that he's getting ready to return. Oh, I don't can't say when. I just know it's soon. And I pra- I praise him that we have had time to get ready, but continue to do so. Now let's pray in accordance with Psalm 122, verse 6, praying for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. I start every day praying for the peace of Jerusalem, praying for their protection, praying for their leadership, praying for them to come to know the Prince of Peace. I know that there can be no peace until the Prince of Peace returns. I pray for America, as I said last week, and I hold to it. I say, may God shed his grace on thee. We need his grace. We need his mercy. We need his divine intervention. I pray for the fatherless, the widows, the persecuted, and the martyred, the innocents, and those who are victims of injustice. I pray against the slaughter of the innocents, both in and out of the womb, both animal and human. I pray for missing and exploited children, victims of sex trafficking, just an abomination, a satanic enterprise that has been around since the beginning of time. And there are people, both natural and supernatural, there are things profiting from this debased activity. I pray for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith, for the religious persecution, the anti-Semitism that's growing, the boldness of the spirit of the Antichrist increasing at this time. He's prevailing preparing for his personal unveiling, but I say to you in the name of Yeshua, we must push back. We must take a stand. I pray for divine wholeness, health, and continued healing as we get back to our divine design, a phrase I've been using since 2010, for healing all who are injured and, and sick, for protection, inspiration. You know, if you're, if you're sick whether in heart, mind, body, soul, or spirit, it affects everything you do. It pulls you down, weighs at you. Don't let the enemy get away with that. He loves you. He wants you to be whole. He wants you to be healed. He wants you to be delivered. And so do we. I pray for the remnant. I'm not preaching to the church. I stopped preaching to the church a while ago. Though the remnant is a part of the church, the church at large doesn't want to hear what I have to say. Used to be the listeners of this Bible study were in the, we averaged about 1,000 a month. But once I honed the message into the red letter basics and that you must be born again, the the tighter and more laser-like the focus of the message became the more the people fell away. And that's okay. I'm not doing this for the numbers. But I know who I speak to. I know who I've been ordained to inspire and train and teach and bring to the next level, and that's the remnant. I pray that they would wake up. If you know somebody who believes a part of the remnant, just go to them and say, hey, wake up. You're needed. Answer the call to action. If you know people that have been blessed, tell them, hey, I know some people, I know an organization, I know a group that could use that blessing. 
We're believing that the blessings are coming. We're speaking by faith that the the finances and the provisions are flowing through so that we can do what we're called to do, whether it's finish this documentary and make others, whether it's to go out and set the captives free or to to do what we've been called to do, whether it's the porch or firefall or SRT. We know, we know, we know what we're supposed to be doing. And we believe by faith it's happening even as I'm speaking right now. So we pray for the open conduit of his blessings to fund all the dreams, not just ours, but yours, all the visions, all the missions, everything needed to further the kingdom, to do what we must do at this time while the kingdom of darkness is growing and they're cackling and they're crowing and they're acting like they won. Forgive me, this may not sound real spiritual, but I'm ready to go slap them upside the head and remind them who the king of kings and lord of lords is. And, of course, finally, the most important thing we could pray is for our lost family members, calling them into the kingdom, calling them out of darkness and into the light. This week um, on the Facebook message or whatever that is, I have a a place there for the porch to interact. Woody in Central Florida, who asked for prayer for his father last week, has um, let us know that he's also having gallbladder complications along with his liver struggling to work properly. So he's asking for prayer support. Kim in Fort Mitchell sent in a quick one tonight. What started off as a normal cold a few days ago has got me thinking now. I gradually feel worse and I lost my sense of taste today. This would be the second time to get this. The kids are sick too. So that's all I have for tonight. Please pray. And I mentioned last week that my our grandson and my son and daughter-in-law had had gotten sick and but you know what? We live in a fallen world, and these things happen. And we've been given natural things to protect ourselves and supernatural things to use, but sometimes it happens. So keep the faith. Stand strong. Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, the name above every name. Whew, I feel that. The name above every name. Wonderful. Counselor. Prince of Peace, Shepherd, Healer, Teacher, Friend. And we thank you for loving us. We thank you for making a way out for us. We thank you for shining the light and asking your Son, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah, to come set us free. We were lost, and now we're found. The shepherd went looking for the sheep that wandered away. He left the ninety-nine for the one. So we thank you for that love. We thank you for that abiding love. The heart of a father, Abba, Papa, Daddy. And Yeshua, our Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the cross, something we should never ever take for granted, what you did, what you endured the blood that was shed to wash away our sins. But we thank you that you're alive, that the tomb is empty, the stone has been rolled away, and that you're not there. There's no skin cells left for them to find either. You were resurrected, and the same Spirit that raised you from the dead is inside of each and every one of us to remind us of that He is alive. And he sits at the right hand of the Father in fullness and power. And we get to sit with him in the heavenly places. 
So we thank you for that. We thank you for sending back the Holy Spirit to teach us and to walk with us and encourage us. The Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKadosh inside of us. Speak to us right now. Touch each and every person listening. Open their minds. Open their hearts. Open them up to understand and to see and to hear. We take our thoughts captive to the obedience of Messiah. We claim the mind of Messiah. And we cast down every vain imagination that would exalt itself above the knowledge of El Elyon, God Most High, our Father. So have your way, Lord. Bless the technology. Bless us and bless this word. In Yeshua's name, amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. So we're still talking about crossing over into the promised land. But before we do that, let's remember... Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You know that manna that used to drop for them in the wilderness. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We've been talking about his kingdom. And you know what? Even though we're talking about the promised land, we've been talking about his kingdom. God, the Lord God, the one who led them, was building a kingdom when he sent Israel into the promised land. The 12 tribes were intended to be a kingdom for him. And we see that in the book of Revelation Five times, 24 elders are mentioned in Revelation 4.4. 4, 24 of the thrones surrounded the, the throne. Seated on these thrones were 24 elders dressed in white clothing, which is a sign of the redeemed, with crowns of gold on their heads. And this says in, uh, further down in verses 10 and 11 of Revelation 4, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they worship him. Who lives forever and ever, and they throw down their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive the glory and the honor and the power, for you created all things, and because of your will they exist and were created and brought into being, and we know who they're worshiping. They're worshiping Yeshua because that describes him. I believe. This is where I take it, because some people say, oh, those could be humans, or there could be angels representing, uh, you know, the, the, the kingdom of heaven. Now, I believe the 24 elders represent the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, which is the completeness of the redemption of humanity, both Old Testament and New Testament. And so the throne room depicts God on his throne and the representative of his domains, which is 
his domain, which is all creation, and the church is present in the 24 as with the 12 apostles. But what that shows me is he wants to partner with us to build his kingdom. There are many that will just sit back and say, oh, God's going to do it. Just sit back. You don't got to do nothing. Don't show me where it says that, especially in the New Testament. He wants to partner with us. We're his family. We're working in the family business. And you, Joshua, Yahashua, Joshua, was a kingdom builder. Oh, yeah, he was a warrior. He was a leader, but he was a kingdom builder. We talked about Joshua 1, verses 1 through 9. God's commission to him can be summed up in this. Be obedient. Rely on my word. Don't be afraid or discouraged. Trust me, and I'm with you as I was with Moses. Good deal. At least I think so. And Joshua, man, it was a new spirit, a new leader for a new journey. And what is it? He he considers the cost. You know, we've been my, my brother Larry and I and and we've been talking about this, what we're called to do and the magnitude of it, but to consider the costs. And I don't mean just financial, I mean personal, I mean spiritual. And Joshua was smart. He sent spies in to scope out the land, but he learned from his lesson. He didn't send twelve spies representing the twelve tribes. He picked two. Two that had not heard the other report were not around before. And these two we shared last week. And I, I, I don't know about you, but last week's Bible study touched me. See, he was preparing to invade Jericho. Of course, he had no idea the supernatural events that were about to happen. And, and the spies came back with a good report. They'd been helped by Rahab, the Canaanite harlot. Go back and listen to last week's if you want to fill all that in. But today I want to focus on God, our Father. Isaiah 43, verses 15 through 19. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. I call forth the mighty I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all of its chariots and horses. I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned. He drew them to their own destruction. Their lives were snuffed out like a smoldering candle wick. But forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness, and I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. No matter what he's done before, the great miracles, the great signs and wonders, all the things that we've seen, he's always doing something new. But that something new is based upon what he did before. People will tell you, to think outside the box. Well, that's all well and good, but don't think outside the book. But the thing that came to me today, because I'm on a journey and my brothers and I are on a journey, if the journey is ordained by the Lord God, he will make a way for it and he will get the glory. So go with me to Joshua 3, starting with verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from 
the Acacia Grove, and came to Jordan, to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits, which is 3,000 feet, about a half a mile by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. Let me say that again. Follow the Ark of the Covenant. Do not go near it, but follow it. You've not gone this way before. And then Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Well, at the beginning it says, Joshua rose early in the morning. That seemed to be a characteristic of his life, but you know why? He knew that his reliance and the reliance of the people of Israel had to be totally on the leading of God and not on the human intellect. Let me say that again. He knew that to get into the promised land, to complete this journey, they had to lead, lean totally on God and not on human reasoning or human intellect. The Bible makes frequent mention of those who spent the early morning in that spiritual intimacy with God. We know the Lord did it, Mark one thirty-five. early in the morning while it was still dark. Yeshua got up, left the house, and went out to a secluded place and was praying there. It's important. Job did it, Job one five, And this, when the days of their feasting was their sons, his sons, his family, his children, liked to party. Party! They liked to party. And, and when the feasting was over, Job figured out they probably did some things that were not good. So he would send for them and consecrate them, rising early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And he did this at all such times. See, Job was a very spiritual man. He understood. He was sensitive to sin and its need for sacrifice. Unfortunately, this behavior by his children was known by the enemy, and it became an open door for the enemy later on, because when all of Job's children are killed by Satan, they're all in one house partying at the same time. Psalm 88, verse 13, But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Psalm 119, verse 147, I rise before the dawning of the morning and cry for help. I hope in your word. See, each morning, his mercies are new every morning. Each morning, we have a fresh opportunity to recall that mercy, and to recall his protection, and to find direction and guidance for the tasks of the day. Psalm fifty-nine, sixteen. But as for me, I will sing of your mighty strength and power. Yes, I will sing joyfully of your loving kindness in the morning, for you have been my stronghold and a refuge in the day of my distress. Psalm 92, verse 2, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night.
children of God, he wants to meet you in the morning. It's a part of his tender mercy and the loving Father's heart that he has. But you know what? Man's not always receptive to that desire. We see it in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 7, where the Lord said, Most certainly you will reverently fear me, accept correction. So Jerusalem's dwelling will not be cut off in accordance with all that I have appointed concerning her punishment. But they were eager, even rising early, to make all their deeds corrupt. Jeremiah 7, verse 25 through 28. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have persistently sent you all my servants, the prophets, sending them daily, early and late. Yet they did not listen to me and obey me or bend their ear to hear me, but stiffened their neck. They did more evil and behaved worse than their fathers. You shall speak all these words to them, but they will not listen to you. You shall also call to them, but they will not answer you. You shall say to them, This is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God or accept correction and warning. Truth and faithfulness have perished and have completely vanished from their mouth. When that happens, when he realizes he's lost your attention, he'll do whatever it takes to get it. But he wants to meet with you. He wants to meet with you first thing in the morning. So here we have the getting ready to cross over. They're told to sanctify themselves, but they're also told something else. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is going before them. The Ark represents the dwelling place of God. It symbolizes his throne. And when it, wherever, whenever Israel moved, a contingent of the priests carried the ark before them. He goes before you, but you've got to follow. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before, 3,000 feet, half a mile. But keep your distance. God did not want his people to take his presence for granted. The ark represented the Holy One of Israel. The ark of the covenant. The Lord of the whole earth was leading them into the land of promise. Leading them into Canaan. Made of acacia wood overlaid with gold. And contained inside of it the manna in the wilderness, Aaron's rod, which, though the wood was dead, had new buds, new new life on it. The dead came to life, and it had the Ten Commandments. It represented the the presence of God and was Israel's most sacred possession. And they were to acknowledge his holiness with reverence, with respect, with awe. Sanctify yourselves for his purpose. For tomorrow the Lord will do wonders, will do miracles among you. I always look for the keynote in anything the Lord has me do. And it just seems like consecrate yourself. Set yourself apart. And this isn't the first time that they were told to do this. 
before he appeared to them on Mount Sinai, they had to get ready for him. And you know, it's pretty interesting. When you go to a special event, you get all dressed up. Maybe you get a tuxedo. You get your, your nails done. Maybe you get your hair done, or hair did. I don't have hair, but I can get my beard taken care of. Whatever it is you're going to do, you want to look right. You want to be at your best. You want to show respect and consideration for the people by being your best. Exodus 19, starting verse 10, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Prepare them for my sacred purpose. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the cloud in the sight of all the people. You shall set barriers for all the people around the mountain, saying, Beware that you do not go up on the mountain or touch its border. Whoever touches the mountain must be put to death. No hand shall touch him, that is, no one shall try to save the guilty party. But the offender must be stoned or shot through with arrows, whether man or animal that touches the mountain, he shall not live. And when the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified them for God's sacred purpose. And they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be prepared for the third day. Do not be intimate with a woman. Why? Why would he say that? Well, separate yourself to the Lord and to him alone. Your intimacy is with him. And in this moment, he needs you focused on him, not pleasing someone else, not pleasing yourself, but to be pleasing to him. This is an experience and something that you must be ready for. I believe that the church today is a little bit too casual about what they do and how they do it and about his presence. And the whole thing about the intimacy thing, talking to somebody else about this today, uh, 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 an entire denominational religion made this whole thing about celibacy into a religious ritual. And and in case you don't know where they get it from, it's 1 Corinthians 7, verses 30 through 35, where Paul tells them it's better to be single and, and committed and concentrating on God than to be married and have to care about the, the needs of your, your spouse or the things of the world. And what Paul's saying here is not that the married life is less spiritual than the celibate life, but that the celibate life is less distracted by the worldly cares. The focus of his advice was to be faithful and undistracted in your devotion to the Lord, but I tell you, you can do it. If you have a spouse that understands that he comes first, that they're always going to be number two to him. But the people were asked to divorce themselves from anything that was unclean and to devote themselves wholly to the Lord. Holiness is not a message you hear in the church. Holiness is not a message the church wants to hear. They want to be told it's all right. Grace, grace, everything's grace. Go do what you want to do. He'll forgive you. Let me tell you something. If you sin knowing it's a sin, it's called a presumptuous sin. And the judgment on presumptuous sin is even worse. 
The Holman Bible Dictionary says the word sanctify or sanctification is a process of being made holy, resulting in a changed lifestyle for the believer. The, the, word, the English word sanctification comes from the Latin word sanctificatio, meaning the act or process of making holy or consecrated. It's based upon the Greek root of hag, H-A-G, hagiasmo, which means holiness, or consecration, or sanctification. Hagiasosune means holiness. Hagiatos, hagiatos, H-E-A-G-I-O-T-S, I know I mangled it. Holiness, hagiaso, sanctify. The, the whole, the present, the Presence of that H-A-G means to stand in awe of something or someone. The Hebrew word for that is kadosh. Holy. Sanctified. The opposite of that is to something that's profane or unholy or reverent or sacrilegious. Today, the blasphemous and the sacrilegious is filled in our society. It's in our movies, it's in our TV shows, it's in our politics, it's in our commercials, it's in every part of our life, it's in our schools. There's no respect for God. And they're lucky we're under a new covenant, under the Old Testament, anything could have happened. But I will tell you this, I know my father well enough to know that if you push him too far, you're going to get some Old Testament responses. But we are called to be separate. We're called to be dedicated to him. And if we're going to be used by him, we need to be separated for him. James 4.4 4 says that, Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We have a job here. We have a commission, a great commission. But we're not supposed to compromise. We're not supposed to become like the world. We're not supposed to be so seeker-friendly that we look like the world, we smell like the world, we sound like the world. That would never have appealed to me, even in my demonically bound mindset. With all the demons in me, I could recognize holiness. I could recognize perversion. But the moral implication of what the prophets are saying, whether in the Old Testament or the New Testament, is be made holy. Kadosh. He is holy. Psalm 99, verse 9. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. His name is holy. 99, verse 3. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. His name is not to be profaned. Leviticus 20, verse 30, I will set my face against that man, and I will cut him off from his people, for he has given some of his descendants to Moloch. Human sacrifice, baby sacrifice, abortion. To defile my sanctuary and profane my holy name. I don't know about you, but I can deal with a lot of things, but I can't deal with the GD word. My father's last name is not damn, and I don't hesitate to tell somebody that if they use that word. By the way, my father's last name is not Dam. What? Well, what you just said. That's not his last name. 
oh, I, I'm sorry, I, you know, I, I didn't know it would bother you. Why not? I was in the process of producing a project. It didn't happen, but we were in the stages of talking to people, and I was hiring heads of, of areas and talking to the stunt coordinator. And stunt, co- stunt guys and stunt women are rough and tumble. Some things can come out of their mouth in tough situations. And I said to him, hey, I get it. I get it in the moment of pain or frustration. Something happens. But I'm going to tell you right now, anybody uses the GD word, I'll fire him on the spot. Guy looked at me and said, I, re- I respect that, boss, and I'll make sure they know that. By the way, what do we call the spirit that's inside of you? The Holy Spirit. Have you ever thought about sometimes? I know I did in the past when I was still making dumb mistakes as a baby Christian, going into places I shouldn't have gone, being around people I shouldn't. You're taking a Holy Spirit in there with you. Think about that. Dwell on that a little bit. The Spirit inside of you is called the Holy Spirit. Your Heavenly Father, He exists in the realm of the Holy All that pertains to him must come into that same realm of holiness, time, space, objects, and people. The kingdom of God is holy. He even set apart apart certain times to him that were holy, the Sabbath. Genesis 2, 3, God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because he rested from all his works which God had created and made. You want to learn about holiness? You want to learn about relationships set aside that 24-hour period? We do it from sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. Maybe you want to do it on Sunday. That's up to you. I just do what the Lord did. But you want to learn about holiness? You want a deeper relationship? Then sanctify yourselves and set yourself apart for him. He made festivals that were holy, mentioned in Leviticus 23, the Passover and the unleavened bread, the feast of first fruits, the feast of weeks, the feast of trumpets, the day of atonement, the feast of tabernacles. They're all holy, and he's in all of them. The year of Jubilee, Leviticus 25, 12, for it is the Jubilee, and it shall be holy to you. You shall eat its produce from the field. A year. Holy. What about the land of Canaan, the land that's inhabited by the Nephilim, the land that was stolen, the the land that they're going in to get, which we're talking about, Exodus 15, 13. You and your mercy have led forth the people whom you have redeemed. You've guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. Just because the enemy is in there, first of all, if God says it's yours, if his name was on it, if the enemy stole it, then start speaking to it as it should be in his hands, in his name. When the enemy steals something, just don't go, oh, um, I don't know what I'm going to do now. No, get a little indignant. Get a little upset. The enemy steals a member of your family, a husband, a wife, a son, or daughter. Come on. Get a little righteously indignant. Jerusalem was his holy mountain according to Isaiah 11.9. Pretty amazing how the land is holy to him. All of this earth was meant for him, for Adam and Eve. And then sin got in and the land got defiled. Now think about this when Yeshua was dying on the cross. 
And every drop of blood is coming out of his body. And it's going down the cross. Where's it going into? It's going into the ground. Some believe that the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant was hidden in that mountain. And that the blood from the cross dripped down through the cracks through the earth and landed upon the mercy seat, which would make sense to me. But he was sanctifying the land when he did that. Because if the land is defiled, the land rejects us. Leviticus eighteen twenty-five through 28 For the land has become defiled, therefore I have brought its punishment upon it. And the land vomits out its inhabitants. But as for you, you are to keep my statutes and my judgments, my precepts. And you shall not commit any of these repulsive acts, neither the native-born nor the stranger who lives temporarily among you. For all these repulsive acts have been done by the man who lived in the land before you, and the land has become defiled. Do none of these things so that the land will not vomit you out should you defile it as it has vomited out the nation which has been before you. They're going in to take the land. They're going to sanctify the land. It's what I do with SRT. It's what I'm called to do. Beside everything else, I'm called to heal the land. Purify yourselves. Separate yourselves from anything that's unclean. Anything, in this case, that would bar an Israelite from coming into God's presence. But I'm speaking to you, the redeemed, the born again, those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And I have a word for you. Purify yourselves. Look at your house. Look at your family. Look at your relationships. Look at everything that you do and ask the Holy Spirit, show me anything that defiles me. Show me anything or anyone that keeps me from being holy like my Father in heaven is holy. Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. It's interesting, the book of Joshua emphasizes this idea of holiness. Separation from things that are unclean or common. You want to see some wonders? You want to see some signs and wonders? That's what they're about to get. The Hebrew word means miracles. Mighty acts of God to astonish the people. Make them praise him. Psalm 96, verse 3, declare his glory among the nations, his wonder among the people. You know why signs and wonders follow the word? They don't precede the word. They don't replace the word. You want to know why signs and wonders follow the word? Because it's the Lord confirming the word and declaring that the word is holy, that the word is good, the word is God. Therefore, a sign and a wonder will follow it. And that sign and wonder will line up with the word of God. We've been warned about lying signs and wonders. And I tell you, lying signs and wonders won't line up with the Word of God. They won't glorify God. They'll glorify a man or an idea. But now they're getting ready to cross over the Jordan. And the ark is going before them. And they're following them. And the priests are to enter the water. And they're supposed to stand in the Jordan, not on dry land. Of course, that's a step of faith, by the way. Lord said to Joshua, this day I will begin to magnify and exalt you in the sight of all Israel, so that they may know, just as I was with Moses, I will also be with you. 
You shall command the priests to carry the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, By this you shall come to know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, and the Jebusite, all these ites, Paintings in the ites, all came down from Noah's son Ham through Canaan. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you, leading the way into the Jordan. So now take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from each tribe. And when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, comes to rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan flowing down from above will be cut off, and they will stand in one mass of water. For the first time, Joshua acts as a prophet of God, not just as a leader, and he's truly taken Moses' place. Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And by carrying the ark into the water first, isn't that amazing? They had to step into the water before he parted it. The priest had to show obedience. They had to show an act of faith, the ruling presence of God, holiness leading the way. And just in case you'd missed it, the Jordan overflows at this point. It's significant to understand that a great miracle is about to happen. This is not a trickle during a time of drought. This is not some ankle deep we can walk across. No, this, this is the time of the spring thaw. The Jordan River is 100 feet wide from anywhere from 5 to 12 feet deep. And at this time of the year, it's about 12 feet deep. This is a miracle getting ready to happen. But the priest had to take a step of faith. Now remember, none of these people were there when he parted the Red Sea. They've never seen this before. They've heard about it, but they've never seen it. They've never been a part of it. But they, this is a different group of people. But faith takes actions. James 2.18, but someone may say you claim, to have, you claim to have faith and I have good works. Well, show me your faith, your alleged faith. Without works, if you can, because I'm going to show you my faith by what I do. Faith inspires action. And God performs the miracle. He stops the waters of the Jordan Chapter 3, picking in verse 14, And so it was, when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordans with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the priest who bore the Ark dipped into the edge of the Jordan, at a time when the Jordan overflows all the banks during the time of the harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream, which coming down from Mount Hermon, and if you know anything about Mount Hermon, it gets covered with snow during the, during the winter. And when all that snow melts, it's rolling down. It stood still. It rose up in a heap from very far away 
at Adam, the city which is beside Zaratan, so that the waters went down into the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, the Red Sea. It all failed, and they were cut off. And the people crossed over. But they didn't just cross over on wet, mucky land. It was dry. The Ark of the Covenant led them across on dry land in the midst of the Jordan. And on dry land, they crossed over until all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan. Folks, if you're going to cross over, I wish I could see you right now. I wish I could hear you right now. Who's looking to cross over? I mean, who's believing in the promises of God? Who knows the promised land? Who knows what land has been laid out before them? Remember, the promised land was laid out for the 12 tribes of Israel, and where they're about to go into in Jericho belonged to the tribe of Benjamin. But if you believe you're crossing over, if you believe this is your time, if this is what you believe you're about to do, then something miraculous has to happen, something that's out of your control, something that only your heavenly Father could do like this. The Jordan overflowing at all the banks. And the water stops for a great distance, backing up about 25 miles away. And the entire riverbed is dry. Drained to the Dead Sea on dry ground. God has performed a miracle. And they know it. They know it's the 10th day of the first month, probably March or April. They know the water's deep. They know it's coming off the melted snow and ice of Mount Hermon. And now they remember, wait, this is what happened in the Red Sea. He did it before. He did it again. Not mud, not shallow water. Miracles. These people were led by a cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. And now the Ark of the Covenant is showing them the way. The presence of God is going before them. Are you following the presence of God into the promised land? Are you following a plan? Are you following a man? Are you following your own made-up mission and putting his name on it? You see, to change and heal a land... God's presence must go before you. God's presence must rule over the land and over the people in it. Let me let you in on a not-so-good secret. We can put the Lord's name on this country all that we want. But his presence does not rule over the land. It does not rule over all the people. It does not rule in our government. It does not rule in our schools. His presence does not rule in, in many people's lives who sit in pews in places they call churches, forgetting that they're the church. Their marriages are not in order. Their relationships are not in order. Their businesses are not in order. See, the reason they had to clean out Canaan, the reason they had to do what they did, is you can't co-mingle with sin. You can't co-mingle with the demonic. You can't co-mingle with the fallen. And that's what we're doing right now in this world, in this nation, in the church. We're trying to co-mingle with the following. We're trying to go along to get along. I'm not that guy. Many of you know me for a long time, especially my wife who's listening. I'm not the go-along 
get-along guy. I'm the guy who's going to stand its ground. I'm the guy who's going to put the finger in the face. I'm the guy that's going to tell the truth when the people don't want to hear it. Of course, there's no crowd around me, so there is a downside to that. But that's okay. Whoever's with me is who's supposed to be with me. But I'm looking to heal the land. I'm looking to heal a nation. I'm looking to heal nations, plural, to preach the gospel, to set the captives free, to tear down strongholds, to destroy the work of the enemy, to show the world that the Lord God lives and he reigns and he's alive. And his son Yeshua, who died on the cross as king of kings and lord of lords, and there is no other name in heaven and earth by which a man or woman might be saved. There is no other name. There's no other religion. There's no other thing out there. I know him. And he's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords. He's coming back as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Then I'm going to do all that I can to be a part of that. I'm going to do all that I can to cross over and make it into the promised land. Now, what's waiting for them over there is the the king of Jericho and a walled-in city and and supernatural reports of Nephilim and giants in the land and blah, 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 blah. That's in the Bible. I think it's first blah, blah, 27. I don't care. I don't care if Satan himself shows up. I don't care if fallen angel shows up. If you know anything about what we do with SRT, been there, done that. Canaanite God, check. Phoenician God, check. On and on. Been dealt with in the name of the one true God. Filled with the power of his Holy Spirit. We need more of that. We need this confidence that they had to step into the water by faith, to be ready to cross over, to be sanctified and set apart. So I pray for you now. I pray for you now in the name of Jesus, Yeshua. You have dreams, you have visions, you have goals, you have desires. Sanctify yourself. Set yourself apart. Don't live like the world. Don't be like the world. Don't go along with the world. Look at your life. In three days, that's what they had to do. They had to clean their clothes. They had to refrain from sexual relations, focus upon God, and pray. Stop taking him for granted. So, Father, I pray for your children right now. I pray that you'd speak to them. I pray that your glory would shine down upon them and fill them. I pray that you change their minds. Give them the mind of Messiah. Have them so filled with the Holy Spirit they think your thoughts. They feel your heart. They know your will. Change your children, Lord. Change the remnant. Empower us. Provide for us. Let us go. Let us do what you've called us to do. Let us set the captives free. Let us tear down the altars and the icons. Let us confront the fallen and their demonic offspring. Father, we pray for those that have been tricked. 
those that might have been the previous generation 40 years before that lost their faith and lost their way. And if they're not unredeemable, if they can still be redeemed, Father, send an angel, send a person, send somebody to go get that sheep. So, Lord, I'm asking. In my mind, I'm thinking about family members. I want you to do the same. I'm asking you to send an angel or even show up yourself like reports are coming from all over the Middle East as you convert people to you. Send someone to bring the sheep back home. Clear their minds. Don't let the enemy have them. And Lord, if need be, send send us. We'll go. We'll deal with it. We'll go get the lamb out of the lion's mouth. We'll grab that chin and open it up and get that lamb out whole and bring him home to you. Come on, church. Brothers and sisters, come on. Let's wake up. Let's put down the, 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 the silliness and the profane and the ungodly. Let's stop our foolishness and thinking, well, grace, grace, all his grace is going to forgive me no matter what I do. Let's work harder and be more committed to our relationship with him and stop taking him for granted. Let's love him the way a child's supposed to love their father because he wants to love you that way from father to child. He wants to bless you. So, Lord, have your way. Please make a way like you did for them in the wilderness. Make a way for us. Send what we need, Lord. Send your spirit. Fill us to overflowing. And I just ask all these things in Yeshua's name. Amen. Folks, I know I'm I'm teaching historicity, historical aspects of crossing over into the promised land. And if you've followed me before, I've never done this. I was trained under somebody who did, Pastor Robert Shelley. But the Lord's begun to show me that nothing is new under the sun. It's ever been. It's it's already been done. And what he did with them, he's doing with us. And we need to learn these lessons. We need to understand the lessons of the promise. Then we need to understand the lessons of the kingdom in crossing over. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund, and this has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.